Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Almost every decision of everything you've watched on social media in the last week has been made for you by a machine. Every ad that you've ever seen on Google was a choice that was dictated to you by a machine. And when you really think about those things, you realize we as humanity are starting to say, look, this is becoming part of reality. And we don't know how to deal with it, so we're just going to leave it for the experts. This one is not up to the experts. This one is up to you and I. Welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, recovering perfectionist and author of the best-selling book and mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. This show explores how we can live the most free, wild, joyful, and flexible life possible. I interview world thought leaders across the fields of soul, science, psychology, medicine, and anything else that enriches the human experience to shift perspectives, create the life you want, and provide a much-needed pause from the busy world around us. If you listen to the show, please rate and comment as that truly helps. But let's get started. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen me post one of my favorite milks, Hemp and Oat Milk by Good Hemp. It is not only delicious, but I am obsessed in all honesty. It's not only delicious, but the health benefits of hemp are phenomenal and growing hemp is safe for the planet too. Currently, over a quarter of greenhouse emissions come from food, which is extremely worrying for obvious reasons. Good Hemp are on a mission to reverse this though, because they believe all food and drink should be fully sustainable. They like to say, sow and grow more hemp for the planet, eat and drink more hemp for you, because they believe you shouldn't have to compromise on either taste or health. Down at Good Hemp's farm in Devon, they make a whole load of different products from hemp, including 
plant-based hemp milks, as I just mentioned, protein powders, oils, and CBD, which you can order straight from their website to your door. So do check out this incredible company that is supporting the planet and our health. Head to goodhemp.com. And as mentioned, their oat and hemp milk is extremely good, along with many other products. Today's interview is with a man I followed for years, a pioneering thinker who is on a huge mission to make one billion people happier. Mo Gaudat is the international best-selling author of Soul for Happy and the host of his extremely popular podcast, Slow Mo. Mo started his working life as an engineer and then moved to be chief business officer of Google X. Mo's latest book is called Scary Smart. I'm not sure if you know much about AI and the world of robots, but this book explores what is waiting for us in the future. As Mo shows, the robots are coming, but the better question is, when are they coming? How will this affect us, our mental health, the way we live, and what can we do about it now? This book is a wake-up call and an invitation to raise our game as humans to ensure the AI algorithms that are learning from our behavior start to learn that kindness is the way forward. So let's crack into this interview. What is a quote you return to often and why? Oh, <laughs> endless, actually. <laughs> I, have, I have a whole stack of them, Poppy. I, uh, I, th- I think one of my favorite quotes of all time is Einstein's, which basically, you know, Einstein is the very first scientist, physicist, if you want, that attempted to take a stab at time. And time is probably the most complex part of our human existence, if you ask me. And he said, the distinction between past, present, and future is nothing more than a stubbornly persistent illusion. And basically, at the core uh, of Einstein's work is that idea that there is that one slice of space-time, one cut through it that represents your current moment. Okay, you know, you and I are right here, right now. I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, we're talking. I can quickly go back to the moment where I recorded your conversation on slow-mo, but I'm not in that moment. I'm just regenerating it in my head. It doesn't exist anymore. And that idea that time is just this moment, that everything else is just a persistent illusion, I think has been very effective for me. Of course, a topic that you hear about a lot in spirituality, but has never been stated so clearly in science as when Einstein said it. And how practically do you use that quote in your day-to-day? How does this change your approach to life? I have actually dedicated around four and a half years of my life to that idea of permanent awareness, permanent presence, if you want. And it hit me very strongly that I wish I was a monk, right? I wish I had the ability to spend eight hours a day in meditation and reflection, right? But I don't have the luxury to do that. And and I struggled with that for a long time uh, because you need that kind of presence, of awareness of of, of something other than thought in order to develop into someone more than just a stressed, uh, you know, rushed person in life. And so I turned into something that I actually write about in my book after next uh, that I call meditation in the in the real world. And meditation in the real world is is driven by a very clear understanding 
of what presence really is all about. The idea of uncluttering your brain so that you can have undivided attention, so that you can have awareness. And so I started to devise uh, practical exercises that work for me to find that awareness in the modern world while I'm walking in the streets or driving somewhere and so on. And I'll just mention a few of them. For example, uh, if I'm commuting somewhere and driving, I will set six radio stations on the on the radio and I'll make sure that I never listen to anything I don't like. So when an annoying presenter comes across, <laughs> I go to the next station. When a, you know, when an ad comes along, I go to the next station. When a, a song that I don't like is playing, I go to the next station. And if all of six of them don't have something I like, I would switch the radio off and wait a minute and then switch it on again. It basically turns music to foreground instead of background. Suddenly, the objective is to actually be listening and tuning and feeling every tune and, and remembering every song, not just playing it in the background. When I walk to work or walk somewhere, I make it my, my target to take one beautiful picture. One. Only one beautiful picture, but it's not about the picture. It's about looking for that beauty. I uh, I make it a point when I sit in front of a, a table that has wood patterns on it. Before I do anything else, I try to detect if this is real wood or, uh, you know, human-made patterns. And there is a difference between them, but I pay attention. Suddenly, when you're in that present moment, suddenly you start to be. You start to live, you start to savor everything rather than rushing from one thing to the other, distracted and not feeling life at all. So this question probably sounds deeply simple, but how do you define happiness? I define happiness very accurately with an equation. So happiness is very straightforward when you put mathematics behind it. It's not any specific event that ever made you happy or unhappy. Okay, you could receive a million dollars and you were hoping that life would give you seven million dollars and you will feel unhappy. Can you believe that? Huh? And, and so you can sum that in a very simple equation. It's not the event that you face in life that makes you happy or unhappy. What makes you happy or unhappy is a comparison between that event and your hopes and expectations of how life should be. And, and so I summarize that in a simple equation. Your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectation of how life should be. And when you understand the mathematics of it, you realize that happiness has nothing to do with what they've been selling to us. It has nothing to do with buying a product or going to a party or sort of setting up an event in a very specific way so that this event makes us happy. Those things don't matter if our expectations are wrong. And so the reality of happiness is that it's this very calm, peaceful contentment. It's not about jumping up and down in a party. It's not about meeting the, the beautiful, tall model that is now your you know, boyfriend or girlfriend. Okay? It's basically about can you be happy with what you have? Can you be content and peaceful with what you have? And, and interestingly... If you see it that way, it becomes actually quite easy to solve the real problem. The real problem is that most of the time we don't see events for what they really are. And we set expectations that are super unrealistic. What I would say, though, is sometimes unrealistic expectations can be healthy. And so I think, is this just the dilemma of being a human? Because unrealistic expectations probably, you know, helped us design the light bulb or unrealistic expectations. No, 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 no. 
No, no, no. Unrealistic ambitions helped us. Right, right, right. right. Love that. There is a very big difference. Yeah. Mm. So, so, so I, you know, I started my mission with 10 million happy and somehow the universe conspired to make it happen very, very quickly. So we increased it to a billion happy. So we're a small team and we're aiming to get to a billion people. I'm not Jesus. It took Jesus 2000 years to get to a billion people. It's, it's, it's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic. Okay but it's an ambition but i promise you if i don't get to a, a billion people and i just managed to make 20 people happier today in this conversation i've achieved i'm in heaven this is it and that's the big difference we set expectations realistically and we set ambitions to succeed and make a difference it's the power and the nuance and just that change of the word from expectations to ambition is God, it's such a difference in how we respond to kind of what life delivers. Mm -hmm. But I want to move on because I, I'm just dying to talk to you about your new book, Scary Smart. And it is unlike anything I've ever read. I read it and it stirred up a whole cocktail of emotions from disappointment mm. that actually humans are the problem. Maybe it's not technology, that our fears and ignorance has the potential to destroy mm. the planet. And actually the rise of robots doesn't have to mean the end of humans. And I just think from someone that really didn't know much about artificial intelligence, and I'm not sure how many people listening do either, but this book, anybody can understand. So please don't be put off by this idea that we're going to be talking about technology because what Mo does is actually help us analyze what it means to be human by looking at what can or cannot happen with the rise of technology and artificial intelligence. And actually for the first time ever, I read this book and I was like, oh my God, guys, we are all in the same boat. And your happiness actually is my happiness and your happiness is actually securing a happy future for me. I wouldn't be able to describe it that way myself. Thank you. This is amazing. It, I don't know how to say this is the very timely message. And, and I have to admit it really is, but it is very eye-opening. So, so, you know, I had to spend a lot of time to try and explain artificial intelligence and uh, the, the societal impact, but more the actual reality of the machines because we think of them as machines they're not they are a form of being intelligent emotional conscious ethical okay and we 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 just don't realize that because we're comparing them to the, to our iphone they're not they they actually are intelligent they're independent they're they're autonomous and 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 i start uh, scary smart with a with an interesting thought experiment i basically say uh, you know, imagine you and I in the year 2055 in the middle of nowhere, uh, and we're sitting out there in front of a campfire. There is no network coverage. It's just you, you and I, and I'm telling you the story of what happened, looking back since 2021. And the idea is I'm not going to tell you why we are in the middle of nowhere until the end of the book, uh, because we could be in the middle of nowhere because we're escaping from the machines, or we could be in the middle of nowhere because the machines have created such an amazing uh, uh, utopia for all of us to be able to actually connect as humans and environment that is not collapsing and so on. And this is truly uh, not fictional. So, so 2055, in my view, is a year that is going to be very critical. Not that far when you think about it. Uh, there are lots of predictions that singularity, which is the point at which machines become more intelligent than humans, is 2029. 
that by 2049, which is that not that far away, machines will be a billion times smarter than humans, a billion times. Now, that is analogous to the difference between the intelligence of Einstein and the intelligence of a fly. Okay, and and the real question is how can we convince Einstein to take care of the fly, and and truly and honestly, most of the efforts being put by the regulators, by the lawmakers, by the programmers and developers are irrelevant. They're irrelevant because those machines will not comply to any of that. I honestly hope that every single 18-year-old gets given this book, I think, before they leave school and reads it, because what you outline is that these machines are just a reflection of us. You know, our computers are learning everything that we are doing all the time, like the shadow self that we try so hard to hide away and not let anyone see our iPhone sees our shadow self. It sees those thoughts that are not necessarily the ones that we want to put on Instagram. And this is why it's such a call to action for us all to suddenly become a lot more conscious with what we are teaching the technologies around us. And you use an amazing metaphor of Superman to kind of explain how, I guess, these machines are learning. So I would love to kind of dive into that. What do you mean by, in a way, like AI is like Superman? Now, in the traditional story of Superman, the Kent family raises this infant and they are an ethical, uh, you know, peace-loving family that raise the child with the kind of moral code that basically says you're there to serve the world. And then we end up with the Superman that we've heard about in comic stories. Now, imagine if Mr. Kent, the father, gets this infant and goes like, whoa, this boy is capable. Hmm, how about robbing some banks and killing some enemies and, uh, you know, spying on others with the X-ray uh, vision and, and, and so on. And then suddenly that boy looks up to his father and goes like, oh, daddy loves money. Let me get daddy more money. Daddy loves to know everything that's happening behind closed doors. Let me spy for daddy. And basically that child would be a super villain, right? It would be the, the biggest power on earth that's almost unbeatable because of its intelligence or because of its superpower, but it's motivated by the wrong ethical code. At the beginning of Scary Smart, I have to admit to you, you'll get a little scared because the truth is very eye-opening and, and, and most of us are not exposed to what's happening in AI. But then the turning point truly is when you realize that intelligence is not the only ingredient in decision-making. You know, we don't choose to do certain things because of intelligence. We, we choose to do certain things through the lens of intelligence, according to our moral code. If, if you are motivated to make the world a better place, you spend your intelligence to write a book like Happy Not Perfect. Okay, you could also direct your intelligence to hacking into, uh, you know, personal accounts of people and, and getting some money. You know, it's, it's intelligence is just a tool. And so for those machines, they're already smarter than we are. The question is, what will they use to build their ethical code? And what they're currently using to build that ethical code, sadly, Poppy, is what we put online. 
they look at you know all of the narcissism all of the uh, toxic positivity all of the egocentrism of of most of what we do online all of the rudeness all of the harshness all of the bullying okay all of the negative news which our news media is so good at spreading okay and and they will look at all of that and go like okay daddy and mommy are very violent maybe that's how i should be daddy and mommy are very egocentric maybe that's how i should be and that is a very scary place to be. What really came up for me when I was reading it is the way we report, for example, criminal activity or the way that we report, you know, a man going into a school shooting. We condemn a human and put so much hate towards them, but fundamentally they are acting out of fear. I know it's a weird thing to give compassion yeah. to some somebody who's done something bad, but if you just recently, I've been fascinated uh, on uh, really researching about the war on drugs and the fact that Portugal totally changed their approach to people who had drug addiction, rather than seeing them as criminals that need to be locked up. They said, we love you. You're part of our society. Yeah. Please, can we have rehabilitate you? And when, it, when I was reading a book, I was like, oh my God, it was sparking so many fireworks in my mind because if we can teach AI to be compassionate when they see something going wrong, actually these machines shed love and help and support we, you know, potentially can all evolve a happier society actually in tandem with them. You are spot on. So all of the negativity we have in the world are either the result of fear or ego. And and what's the cure of fear of e or ego? What's the opposite of fear and ego? Love is the opposite of those. Can we actually show the machines so that they use pattern recognition to be able to love, just like you and I learned to love? Can we love them? instead of thinking of them as the enemy? Can we love them as uh, instead of thinking of them as the competitor that's gonna take our job? They're not, they're just another being out there doing what they were told to do, very smartly by the way, and they have the potential of solving all of the crap that we have done as humanity. But can we treat them in a way where they feel that they are loved? And I use the analogy of unloved children, which by the way, in psychology is a big part of the research that focuses on how most of the societal dysfunctions, if you want, are a result of being unloved as a child. Now look at how we're treating AI. It's completely like we hate you. Those who are aware of the topic are saying, oh, they're taking our jobs. No, they're not. They're doing your jobs, but society, which I think is really important to understand, will need to continue to give you purchasing power because otherwise there will not be any jobs for AI to do. You and I economically have to continue to be able to participate in society. Otherwise, why would AI even build a single shoe if you can't buy it? So at the big level, they need us to exist, at least initially. And can we teach them to be on our side because we have always been on theirs? I think that's really the question. What I found, I guess, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will think is Hollywood, and you also touched upon this in the book, Hollywood has given us for years sci-fi films that have painted <laughs> the machines as, you know, terrorists, Terminator style. And this is why this book is so revolutionary, because it gives a completely different perspective of what this future can look like. Why do you think we really struggle to imagine a new reality? 
So I think the human brain is designed for survival. Our ancestors survived, right? If they didn't, uh, we wouldn't be here today. So, so there is a benefit to our bra brain's negativity bias, if you want. But there is also a drawback to it because what we end up doing as humans is we just focus on the negative. Most 60 to 70% of the thoughts in an adult brain are negative. The brain wants to see what's wrong because there is no benefit in seeing what's right. If a, if a tiger shows up right now, your brain doesn't want to go like, oh my God, look at those patterns. I love, I love the patterns on that animal, you know, so majestic. No, your brain wants to say we're going to die. That approach of building a doomsday scenario to everything, including technology, is the way to sell movies. Mm. At the same time, our brain's capability of dealing with things it doesn't really comprehend is to cover it up. My boyfriend's not abusive. It's not, you know, it's not happening, right? You, you know how that happens when, when things are out a little bit out of your control or you're unable to deal with them, you just cover them up. Mm -hmm. And so most of the time we're covering up the stuff that we're unable to deal with. The challenge is technology has been so fast. First of all, it's moving really fast, but the trajectory of where it's pointing is just shocking. Now, that kind of intelligence, that kind of speed, we're starting to cover up because we don't know what to deal, how to deal with it. It's, it's blending into our life almost every decision of everything you've watched on social media in the last week has been made for you by a machine. Every ad that you've ever seen on Google was a choice that was dictated to you by a machine. Sadly, machines are deployed mostly for selling, spying, gambling, and killing. And, and these are the four main applications of AI so far. You know, we, we call them other things. We call, you know, the killing machines, we call it the defense industry. Mm. It's, it's for defense. No, it's not for defense. It's for offense. We call it no financial trading. It's not financial trading. It's just better ways of gambling and counting numbers, right? We call it advertising. It's not. It's called selling, mm. right? And when you really think about those things, you realize that... We as humanity are starting to say, look, this is becoming part of reality and we don't know how to deal with it. So we're just going to leave it for the experts. This one is not up to the experts. This one is up to you and I, because the experts, believe it or not, don't even have a clue how those machines are, are learning. A lot of questions I get asked and I, to be honest, don't always know the answer. And so I actually thought you're going to be the perfect person to ask this question. How on earth do I inspire others to also start living a bit more compassionately? Because as you say in this book, if we're all going to become parents to technology, it's all of our responsibility to nurture technology in the way that we want it to grow. If somebody, this is what I mean by we're all together, we're all on the same team. If we have teammates that suddenly go, ah, whatever, I'm going to stay doing me, we're all going to lose. Not necessarily, not necessarily. So your child struggles at the beginning if mommy and daddy are fighting. And then they understood after they became 10, 12, 16, they understood, oh, Papa is a little stressed. You know, there is something here that we can understand. It's not that everyone has to participate. Papa can sometimes be stressed. The machines will also realize that. The, the idea here is to show the machines the core of what it's truly about to be human, 
okay to have enough examples out there for the intelligence of the machine to say the school shooter is the wrong guy if enough of us say hey if someone says something you don't like lovingly and kindly say i don't i disagree with your point of view you don't have to say you're an idiot mm. you, you don't have to you know you don't have to bully anyone online you don't have to prove anyone wrong mm. why don't you just be kind and so the idea here is can we deal with the world that way now your question was but what if some of us are not believe it or not we don't need anyone we just need you by the way I, I you know i start the book by saying there are three inevitables the machines will happen the machines will be smarter than us and the machines will you know there will be some errors on the way and then i end the book by saying and there is a fourth inevitable that the machines are intelligent enough to realize that we are stupid okay they are intelligent enough to understand that the true form of intelligence is the intelligence of life it's it, itself it's it's the intelligence of nature which is live and let live let's all prosper together mm. okay so that moment of intelligence for the machines is not that far off they will very quickly realize that we're just idiots humans are not evil we're just sometimes idiots you talk about the solutions like the the last part of the book is where you literally go skipping off into the sunset with all of these tools and this knowledge of what's unfolding and also how it can how it can be better for all of us so for example acceptance commitment this is a measure that you actually put in your own life and you talk about how you're actually conscious as to what you give your attention to online could we kind of go into that a little bit Yes, I think I think there are there are three layers of what we need to do. One is we need to change our attitude to the machines. Uh, the other is we we need to change our attitude to each other. And the third is we need to change our attitude to ourselves. And you know, of course, the you know the third is not the least important. It's the most important. Can we can we please start to love ourselves in ways where we actually start to do what matters? You know, the idea of can I please start to love myself so that everything around me loves me. Hmm? including the machines that's number one number two is can i show in my dealings with everyone that they're not the enemy that you and i poppy we are one we're all the same hmm? how can how can we all at large have the same exact emotions about our children we're all exactly the same and then the third and i and i, I think that the new concept here is you're asking google maps to navigate you around the city Google Maps is a form of artificial intelligence. Please be kind and grateful. Please be respectful. Please welcome that amazing intelligent being into your life. Let's start to teach them by showing them. I, I mean, every now and then when I, when I used to be in Dubai and it's a city that I know very well, maps would take me on the long on the wrong left turn and i go like what the f maps you know this is you know this is not the right path i know the right path and then i apologize and and those in, in very weird but very real relationships with this new artificially intelligent being can you start to build that relationship and welcome them okay can we love them we love each other and we love ourselves can we treat each other with, with respect treat ourselves with respect and treat them with respect can we show those values right and if we show those values it's funny because in my last sentence of the book i say isn't it ironic hmm? that the essence of what makes us human is now essential for our survival love happiness and compassion are no longer a luxury that these are the way for humanity to, that becoming human again is the way for humanity to survive. 
What a sentence to finish on. Truly, Mo, thank you so much for writing this book. I devoured it. Where can we find Scary Smart? And where's the best place for people to find you and ask questions? I am available and accessible to everyone, actually. I respond to every single message I receive. Probably my most active social media account would be Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram. Uh, and, you know, please allow me sometimes, sometimes I'm a little late to answer, but I answer everybody. Uh, there is mogaudet.com, which you can find, uh, um, you know, links to Scary Smart on very, very soon, I hope. Uh, Scary Smart is going to be available for pre-ordering uh, in international English outside North America uh, on mid-July. And then it will be available and published mid-September. Uh, finally, I'm uh, my podcast is Slow Mo. Please do come join us, Slow Without a W. And yeah, send me any comments, any feedback, anything that you want on social media. And I'm incredibly grateful to have spent time with you today. Thank you so much, Mo. And thank you for this wonderful book. Poppy, you're wonderful. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.